Hello, everybody. Good morning. Well, uh, Pastor Rich isn't here, but we have the original version. Pastor Dwayne here, so should, everything should go well. We have, we have adults here, so I'm not going to ruin it. Don't worry. Um, yes, we have some announcements uh, to make, but after we greet each other, I'm supposed to say, the Lord be with you. All right, it's going good so far. Okay, well, take a moment to greet each other. Sing first. Oh, see, we're going to sing first. All right. Let's do it. If you'd like to stand and join us, we'd appreciate it. Thank you. Sing to the King who is coming to reign. Glory to Jesus. The
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that told my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear? The Okay, I haven't been here but once in the last four years. Let's see what's next on the screen. The peace of the Lord be with you. And all, with you. all right, let's meet and greet a few people, okay?
Take, you can walk around, meet and greet, that's good. All right. Hopefully you found out the name of the person you're talking to. For those of you who forgot who I am, this is my winter weather garb. I got a beard and long hair because it's been cold outdoors. But my wife told me it's coming off this week, so I guess spring must be coming. And uh, let's see, I think normally during this time you give announcements. Anything we need to be talking about, Katie? What do you think? I see some stuff on the front here. Is there anything else you need to talk about? Oh, yeah. By the way, you guys are doing a great job with the ladies group that meets on Fridays. They're doing boxes for Ukraine that they're going to be sitting over there and some other stuff. And you can go to that website right there and find out something. But I found out something that isn't in the bulletin. I saw this on the board this morning and found out Sam's been passing these out. Come here, Sam. I need to ask you a couple of questions. Find out what Unity Care is. It's uh, well, it has some stuff on it, but I want to ask you. So go for it. Tell us what it is. Yeah, so Unity Cafe, what I see in my work, um, I work at the police department as their social worker, and I run a little nonprofit doing re Oh, okay, thank you. Cool, okay. Um, and then I do re work in the community. So I work with a lot of people who are just very isolated, right? So most of us, all of us, we're all struggling with something, right? But when we have a space to come together and support each other, life is better. So through my nonprofit, in collaboration with Living Hope, we're launching a Unity Cafe here on Wednesday. So we'll be here Wednesdays and Fridays. Wednesdays from 11 to 3, Fridays from 4 to 8. It's a space for people to just come together, be in community, support each other. We'll have snacks and refreshments on Wednesdays and meals on Fridays. So we'll leave the flyer out there. Please come, share the word. Um, We'd love to get everybody involved. And then Fridays, we'll also have a recovery support group for anyone and everyone. Like I said, we're all recovering from something. It doesn't have to be substance use. You know, it can be grief, any type of trauma, daily life, whatever. So uh, that's Fridays, 4.30 to 5.30. So hope you join us. If you want a flyer, I'm going to leave one in the back. But if you want me to email you one or something so you can share it with everybody, just let me know. Good. Thank you so much. Give her a hand. Man, that sounds like a great idea. Wow. Oh, I didn't know the meal was involved. I got to free up my Friday evenings. <laughs> Except that I have a great cook at home, but I, I, I may still try it and make it. That that sounds great. Okay, so uh, you guys have been looking at uh, 40 days, right? I got this little book you've been talking about, and uh, we're on the fourth Sunday of Lent. And here's the scripture I'm supposed to be dealing with today. It says, you have, and so it's in your bulletin there. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's where the world lives, isn't it? I mean, if you don't believe it, whew, we got some enemies alrighty. And uh, it, it's love. It's easy to love your, you know, love those that love you. I mean, it even says that in the next verse. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, man, I tell you, I'm in seminary and I'm thinking, I don't know if I can do that. I, I get a job Ruth Ann was teaching, and I get a job, and it's at the Napa Art of Parts Warehouse, downtown Kansas City, which at that time was kind of not doing too good. There was drug trafficking, prostitutes, and all the rest, and, and, but it was a big warehouse. I get in there, and, and the first person I meet warns me. Now, this happened like 52 or 54 years ago, so I probably forgot some of the finer details, so 
I'll make it sound good. The parts I remember is this. He said, now when George comes down the aisle, always give him plenty of room. Last week he knocked a guy out. He just knocked him out because he didn't like him. So I'm back there thinking, okay, God, I've got this job. I'm filling orders that go to different, not the auto parts warehouses, all over, stores like even around here. And uh, that was our main distribution place. And, and I'm thinking, um, you're going to have to help me here. It's a whole new, I mean, I grew up on the farm. I'm not used to the drug traffickers. I'm not used to going on a break and having prostitutes come to you and say, uh, you know, whatever they're going to say. And, you know, you're going to have to help me here. And about that time, I see George. And I recognize George because she warned me. He's big, he's tall, and he never smiles. So I'm walking down with my stuff, and I see this big, tall guy. I thought, that must be George. And God, you need to help me smile the next five seconds so I can smile at George when he goes by. And I smiled at him, and he kind of looks at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and uh, that goes on, like, for three or four months. Finally, one day, I'm, I'm walking by him like normal, and he puts his hand up, <laughs> stops me in the chest, and says, got to ask you a question. I said, okay, fire away. Why do you smile all the time? Now, I wasn't ready for a question, and so real quick underneath, I said, okay, God, what do I say now? That's what I'm thinking. Praying silently, real quick, God, I need an answer now. I said, here's why. You see, basically, George, I'm lazy. It takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. So I just smile because it's easier. Makes me feel better. Have you ever tried it? Now that, now that I'm probably going to get a... Not recently. So okay. Good to see you, George. And I, he put his hand down, so I walked on. And it happened like about once a week, he stopped and asked me something. And once finally, one day, he stops us. We got a break in 45 minutes, that 10-minute break. I need to see you on the dock. He said, sure, George. I said, oh, God, help me now. What's going on? Well, see, I go to seminary in the morning, and then I run and take my car downtown. It's about another 15-minute drive. Seminary's on the south end of town. Napa Auto Parts Warehouse is the middle of Kansas City. Ruth and I are living on the northwest part of town over in the, on the Kansas side. And um, so I, I try to eat a little bit on the car between uh, getting there, and then I basically eat a sandwich on that break time. So... I take my lunch with me, I meet him at the dock. He's already sitting down, he's eating. Okay, you know, you sit on the dock. I figure his arm's about yay long, so he's here. I'll sit here, and I sat down. What you doing over there? I said, well, I didn't know how good my breath was today, George. I didn't want to, you know, so I'm, and I'm just going to eat. Go ahead, what, what, what's the deal? He said, what's bothering you? Well, my wife told me when I came home tonight, the doors would be locked. She's going to get a locksmith and change the locks. She wants me out of the house. And then he starts crying. Me and George. <laughs> I'm thinking, God, I have no idea what to do now. He's not even hardly taking a breath. So I just go ahead and eat my lunch. About six minutes goes by. I'm about done with my sandwich. And, and so he finally quits crying and he says, I don't know what to do. I says, you know, George, I don't know either. My wife's never told me that. But I tell you what I do. George, one of the reasons I smile is because God changed my life. And I believe God can help you tonight. So let's just talk to God. You need a miracle. I said, you close your eyes and I'm going to talk to God. So I talked to God. I said, now, God, 
George needs a miracle. And so I just pray you give him wisdom and direction tonight and really help him. Oh, I got to tell you, before I did that, before I prayed, I said, George, in fact, I was thinking inside my head, I'm thinking, she's a smart woman. I locked him out several years ago. <laughs> I said, um, do you really blame her? Do you deserve to be locked out? Or is, this, is she just a little bit off the rocker? Oh, no, I deserve it. I've been a terrible husband. Oh, okay. Well, we better talk to God. So I talked to God. He needs a miracle tonight. And God helped George's attitude to change. I just ask it right now. Well, I pray out loud. He'll pray talk silently to you. He'll talk silently to you. I didn't use the word prayer. I knew he knew that throw up a red flag. He said, I'm going to talk to God out loud. And while I talk to God out loud, help, talk, help George talk in to him silently to you and say, God, I am so sorry. I've been so bad. I've been a poor husband. And God, I need you to come in and forgive me and help me to be the kind of person you know I can be. And God, he needs a And then I said, George, I'm going to pray to talk to God for you. And God, he needs a miracle tonight, so help him tonight to find a place to sleep and for things to be better. Amen. The buzzer rang. Saved by the buzzer. I'm off to my job. Next day I'm coming in, I'm thinking, okay, God, you're going to have to tell me today because when George comes in, it could be going from bad to worse. I don't know. But I really hope you can, I just ask God protect me and help things to not be too bad there because he'd been known to cause a scene a time or two. And so I'm in there. I'm not in there 15 minutes. Here comes George. Somebody said, George is looking for you. I said, oh, really? Where's he at? So I thought, okay, I just want to go find out now. So I meet George coming down this main aisle. He is smiling. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know what to do. I've never seen him smile. I hardly recognized him, but he was still big. I said, George, you've got to smile. He says, you know, after you prayed that prayer, I talked to God while you talked out loud. I, I don't know what to tell you. I've never felt the same. He says, I go home, I knock on the door. My wife says, it meets me at the door, and I said, you know, honey, I need to apologize. I've been an awful husband. This guy at work, his name's Dwayne. He talked me, he talked me into talking to God today, and I think God changed my life, but I just want you to know I've been an awful husband, and I deserve to be not locked out. I said, well, come on in. Locksmith, locksmith said he's busy. He can't be here for three days. So he goes in. He says, Wow. I didn't know your God was such a miracle-working God. That's amazing. I tell you, well, I tell you what, George, if you're really serious, I know a marriage counselor. Why don't you talk to your wife tonight and say, you know, honey, I need to go get counseling to find out why I've got some of these bad attitudes, and I'd like you to come with me. Because if you say we need marriage counseling, she's going to say, no, it's not my problem, it's yours. But really, both she needs to know. You need to go together. But So say it that way. Say, I need help. And this guy knows somebody who can help me count, can counsel me. And because uh, that dad talked to a guy that teaches counseling at the seminary, never took any of his classes because I thought, I'm not going to be a counselor, I'm going to be a preacher. Little did I know, preachers need to be counselors. But anyway, he said, sure, I'll make an appointment. I'll see him. Long story short, their marriage was saved. His life was changed. I thought for a while he just wanted to talk to him. I'd get off work early because I'm only working four hours. He was working a full eight-hour shift that started at noon. And, and uh, or actually, I got off work at six, six hours. 
and uh, he got he got off later. But he'd walk to me out to the car and talk to me, and I'm thinking, man, that George, he likes to talk, doesn't he? Finally, it hit me two months later when somebody says, I don't know what you did, but, you know, there's been a couple people that have been, get off their ship, and they've been robbed when they get off work, and you've got your own bodyguard. George, George walks you out to the car every day, and I'm thinking, well, no, I didn't know that was why he was doing it. So I began to think, this is pretty good. You need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I like that verse. That's pretty cool. Then I go to the next verse. But you may, you may be children, that, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and good. He causes the sun to rise. Man, I can't even read this fine print. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and, oh, yeah, and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, if you love those who are good, no, if you love those who will love you, what reward will you get? I love the Living Bible. Living Bible that I read while I was in seminary quite a bit because it put it down in plain English. said, if you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even sinners do that. Well, this here's the New International Version. It says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Yeah, probably nothing the way it sounds. And, not, and are not even the tax collectors doing that? That's the worst sinner they could think of as a tax collector. <laughs> Taking money from them. It'd be like if China took over the U.S. and we had to pay taxes to China. And the tax collectors, the guy says, yeah, let's say Kevin, here's a, the tax collector for China. Yeah, I wouldn't like him. I don't want you sending my money to China. Come on, come on. Yeah. So anyway, even tax collectors do that. So it's interesting. God taught me a lesson. First year in seminary. You need to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It didn't always turn out as good as George, but at least it helps. Okay, then he says, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Some of the newer translations say, you know, if, if you're just friendly to those who are friendly with you, how's that different from them? Even the pagans are friendly to people who are friendly with them. And then here comes this word in verse 48. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is in heaven. Oh, man, why did he have to put be perfect in there? I mean, that's one of those words that weighs me down, you know. You hear that and this inner voice inside goes, okay, Dwayne. <laughs> uh, you know you failed healer here, here, and here. You are far from perfect. In fact, I got the word perfect there in your notes. When you think of the word perfect, what, when, when you think of anything that's perfect, I don't care what it is, what, what, what word comes to mind when you hear the word perfect? Uh, what else? Okay, what else? If you, no, 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 I'm with some other people. Somebody, somebody on this side and somebody on that side. What, what comes to your mind when you think of the word perfect? If something's perfect, what do you think? Oh, she thinks of impossible. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I got a ballpoint pen right here. If it's perfect, what should it do? It should write. It should do what it's supposed to do, right? But what do you think when you hear the word perfect over here? What else do you think of? If you're not perfect, it means you have what? Flaws. Yeah. That's for sure. 
So why does he use the word perfect? I got a sister. 6.15 every night my phone rings on my cell phone. My sister is in a nursing home in Wichita. And in Wichita, Kansas, I got a sister in Oklahoma City. The sister that has, that's in the nursing home is 78 years old. Oklahoma City, I have a sister. She has Parkinson's, just had a hip replacement. And then the bone broke it to put the shaft in. They had to wire it together. Then I got a sister in California that's two years younger than me, 72. That means I am how old? Oh, yeah, you were listening. Good. So anyway, I still got you. 74. So she's got some problems with the sciatic nerve, and she's trying to give her a shot and stuff. But anyway, long story short, back problems. The sister in Wichita, 45 years ago, woke up in an ambulance in a straitjacket on her way to a psychiatric ward. And what had happened was uh, she'd kind of flipped out and went after her husband with a butcher knife. And right in front of two teenage boys and teenage and younger daughter. They said she was back at 45 years ago. They didn't have the name for it. Nowadays, they called her bipolar. And she was chemically re out of whack. Took them, she was in there for six weeks. They finally got her pretty well straightened out with the chemicals and all. But while she's in there, her husband divorces her and her kids don't want anything to do with her. And so she comes out and has to find a place to stay. And she does. And uh, then she starts flipping out and goes back to psychiatric ward. I go to see her again. 900 mile trip. I go to see my sister Twyla. I said, Twyla, what happened? Oh, I got to feeling better. I quit taking my medicine. I said, Twyla. You know, your brother-in-law, Stan, your sister Clarissa's husband, he's got diabetes. He takes a shot all the time. Remember seeing him put the needle in his stomach, give himself a shot? Yeah. I said, well, hey, when his blood sugar's good, I guess he can just throw the needle away and not do any more shots, huh? Oh, no, 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 because the next time he eats, he's going to have to have some more. I said, really? Why is that? Well, because his pancreas isn't producing enough insulin. So Twyla... Your body's not producing enough chemical of whatever it is that causes you. So when you feel good, you keep taking your medicine or you'll be like Stan and your blood sugar will get all out of whack or your emotions get out. You got to keep taking your medicine. I said, what if I have a blood pressure problem, which now I do. I have to take my medicine morning and evening. I said, if my blood pressure is okay, then I can quit taking it, right? No. Well, then you're supposed to keep taking your medicine. For some reason, that clicked with her. From then on, things were fine. She was teaching in high school, went from high school to working in a nursing home. So those, those teenagers, she was teaching music, they, they, don't, they, they don't appreciate, they don't appreciate anything nowadays. They'd rather complain. She says, I go to the nursing home. And while she was there one time, it was lunchtime, and she was visiting my uh, mother's sister, younger sister, that had a stroke. And during the lunchtime, it was just like quiet. Nothing's going on. There's a piano over there. She said, asked somebody, hey, can I go play the piano? So she started playing the piano. She starts asking, what song do you want me to play? Boy, she was a great piano player. Next thing you know, she's offered a job at the nursing home. Would you come just play the piano and just change the whole tune of everything around there? It was so great the way you did that. And they even gave her a title. And then after a while, she was the activities director or something like that. Little did she know, she was there for a reason. You know what the reason was? 
my mom, my dad passed away. My mom had fallen, broken a hip, never quite recovered. She had to be put in a nursing home. The only reason she agreed to go is because her daughter, her oldest daughter's in that nursing home. That's where we heard all, learned all about nursing homes. The only problem was Twyla had arthritis. Thankfully, it didn't affect her hands, but she had artificial hips, artificial knees, and finally she had to have both toes. She could hardly walk. Both big toes had to have that joint replaced right now, you know. I mean, she's had more surgeries. She's had three back fusions and on and on it goes. She's lost six inches in her height because of arthritis. She's in such bad shape now, that's why she can't walk, she can't move, she can't hardly do anything without pain, and she can barely, now it is hit her hand, she can barely hold a fork and feed herself, but not too good. Now, why do we call her? At 6.15, I call her, I call my sister, and call, um, one, something I, I think one of my grandkids showed me on my phone how I can, I can do multiple calls all at once, and they can all be tied in. They showed me how to do it. It was really pretty simple. There's a plus sign there. You have a plus sign, dial the next person. When the answer hit it and it turns to plus again, you can add a third person. You can add as many as you want. We, every night, we call and talk to Twyla. You know Why? Let me tell you why. I've never met anybody anywhere that has such a positive attitude as my sister Twyla does. She got so bad they put her on hospice. About lost her. Because she got COVID and there's home got COVID and all that. She's in basically in solitary confinement for six months in a nursing home room because nobody wanted to go in and see her. They had to, you know, put all this junk on, go in to see her just to feed her and all that. We kept calling Twyla. Then it looked like she was beginning to lose it because she got some other disease. We began to talk to her, but maybe two or three times at night there'd be somebody there to hold the phone to her ear. But then she started regaining her strength back again. And yesterday she said, well, I lost my Cadillac of a wheelchair. It was, a, it was really nice. Ruth and I went to see her there when we were in, uh, in December when we were out there seeing her relatives in Kansas. And she's in this wheelchair that's padded. It like a three-inch pad on it, and, and the back would go down almost like a bed. I mean, it was great. Now, she can't wheel it, but she couldn't wheel it anyway. Somebody would push her, but she could be in there all day and never, man, she could, they could change her position and whatever, make her legs up, whatever. She said, I lost my Cadillac. I said, what happened? Oh, they took me off hospice. They took you off hospice, and the sister out in California said, well, that was a good deal. That means you must be getting better, which we knew she was. Yeah, but I sure loved that Cadillac. She says, I'm back to my Chevy. But she says, guess what? I got to go outdoors for 20 minutes a day in my Chevy. I saw the sunshine. It was a great day. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do to her. She's always got something positive. We all like talking to her because even if I just had a hip surgery and my bone broke, she loves talking to her sister because her sister's in so much worse shape than she is. Can't get out of bed, can't do anything. We had to put her in a sling. They use this machine that I used to use on the farm to pull engines with. That's what it looks like. This big old arm comes down, hooks onto her sling, picks her up, takes her over here, puts her in her wheelchair. Isn't that amazing? She can't do anything. And yet she has a positive attitude. Because God changed her life and she never forgot it. 
Okay, so be ye perfect. I went to seminary for three years. I was almost done with my science degree. I was going to be a farmer when finally I decided to obey God. You see, I was nine years of age. I opened my life to God, and I was about 12, and I felt like God wanted me to share the good news, maybe be a missionary or something. I didn't know. And I said, God, you got to be kidding. I'm the kid that had to go to speech therapy. My own sisters couldn't understand me. I talked too fast because I used to stutter, and so now I'm afraid to slow down, the psychologist tells me, but I can slow down. I just forget to. I'm the one that got the D in speech class because I could hardly stand in front and give a three-minute speech. You got the wrong dude. I can drive a John Deere tractor, Case tractor, Oliver, and I say, I've been in a bunch of, God, I'm good. I've got a farm here. I can give money for missions. That's my excuse. So I'm in the middle of the missions, in the middle of my agronomy degree, in the middle of my junior year. And I'm taking this soil science test, and it's like, all of a sudden it hit me. Why am I taking a soil science class when I could be telling people how God loves them? Jesus was just saying about it this morning. My sin runs deep, but God's mercy, but God is gracious to me. I know that I need to tell people that. And so I changed majors. And it took me five years to finally get out of college. And since I was going a little longer and was there in the summertime, anyway, I decided I'm going to take Greek because in the New Testament was, uh, was written in Greek. Anybody ever hear of Alexander the Great? Okay, he took over the whole Mediterranean area. I mean, he was a brilliant, brilliant leader. He's in his 30s. And he's taken over the whole area. And he realized, okay, if we're going to help these people be good Greeks, they need to learn our language. And so they put amphitheaters. And today you can go to Israel, and there's still amphitheaters in the hills over there where they would go, and they would have three actors, and they would play a part, and they might play two or three or four parts, which is where the word hypocrite came from because you're playing a part that you are not. You know, a teenage boy could also play a young girl or something else. They'd just put a different mask on, throw a wig on, and, and she'd be a nice little girl, and she'd be talking about you know. And what happened? Well, people decided, you know, there's no TV. This is 200 B.C. or before Christ, and or 100, let's learn the Greek language so we can understand what they're saying. So they learned the Greek language. So then when the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek. And the Greek word here for perfect. Well, let me just show you first some of these other translations so we can understand a little better. It says, but you must always act like your father in heaven. That instead of being perfect, the contemporary English version. Now, the reason I like the contemporary English version, I was at a general assembly that we have every four years in Indianapolis one time, and the American Bible Society had just published this back in the 80s, and he said, and I said, man, I really love that translation. You sent me one free. I said, why did you do that? He said, well, we realized we need to do a Bible on the fifth grade level. Oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> you got me, man. That's, I, can, I, can, I can understand that. So I must be like my father. Or the next one says, by the way, in between there, words, in between that blank there, I want you to put now, comma, not yet. Now, comma, not yet. That'll help you understand this next one. This comes from the message translation my wife loved for years and read. Here's what the message translation says. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up! 
You are kingdom subjects. In other words, you're a child of the king. You've opened up your life to Christ. You're a child of the king. Right now, I'm God's child. But I haven't yet grown up. 65 years God's been working on me, folks. That's why I'm still here breathing air. I'm not quite there yet. Now it says, uh, grow up. You're children of the king. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Okay, I'm not yet arrived, but I'm trying. I'm trying to be, I'm not quite there yet, but I've, I've still got a few flaws, a few, yeah. Okay, the next one comes from what's called the Worldwide English Translation. You must be good in every way as your Father in Heaven is good in every way. Okay, I, I can agree with that. I need to be good in everything I do. Do it right. So in the original language it says there, it is written in perfect, comes from the Greek word teleos. Well, I took three years of Greek, so I'd understand that. And all I had to do is read page 68 in this book, and it told me. I could have saved myself thousands of dollars and a lot of hours. Here's what it says in this book on page 68. Teleos is fulfilling the purpose for which you were created. God has a purpose for our lives, folks. And we may not be perfect as far as flawless, it means more of that. I've got God's perfect love in my life, and because I've got God's perfect love in my life, I need to share that love with others and be good at what I do and everything, and act as my Father in Heaven would have me to act. Smile at somebody if I have to. His name was Brad. Brad, one of the advantages of living older, you get to see the results of some of the mistakes people have made. And Brad, man, you talk about... Mess it up in his life. In fact, I know you want to know what do you put by the word cracked. We'll just go ahead and put that in. All of us have cracked. We're kind of like a cracked pot. You know, the, these clay pots that they make by hand and all that, you drop them, they break. Ruth Ann had a really nice plate with a red cardinal on it. And she had it right beside the sink. She loves cardinals. We even got a bird feeder on the kitchen window that the grandkids gave us. She loves to see birds come right up. And one day I'm doing dishes or doing something at the sink and accidentally hit it and it cracked. I got some super glue. <laughs> Gorilla glue. Tried to fix it so it healed before I put it back up there before she got home. It was cracked, all right. Well, Brad's life cracked. His folks went to church. They were pretty old, I thought, back then when I was 39. They were in their 60s. And they said, you know, we've got a son. He really needs help. I'm pretty sure he's a heroin addict. In fact, he's probably pushing drugs. He's got a dealership just down the street. In fact, you went to him last week. He said he met you. I had a Ford Escort four-speed, cheap thing. And I had to have it tuned up or something was wrong with it. He fixed it. He was a good mechanic. I met him. His name wasn't really Brad, but I'm calling him Brad. And Brad was a um, great guitar player. I mean, a great guitar player. I said, Brad, we can use more guitar players at church. I said, why don't you open your life up to God and let him change your life? He can help you get off the addiction. He tried. But on the same whole time, he couldn't 
right, get out. The gang didn't want him out because he was also pushing drugs in his dealership. Long story short, he got caught, ended up in prison in Michigan City. I asked his parents for his address. Well, before that, before that happened, I'm meeting with the parents, and I told the parents, I said, listen, are you willing to surrender your son to God and let God take care of him? I mean, just take hands off. God will figure out a way to reach him if you'll just take your hands off and let him go. Yeah, we'll do that. They called me up one night, 2 o'clock in the morning. My son got arrested. I said, good. What do you mean good? I said, you surrendered him to God. Maybe now God can get his attention. And did God ever get his attention? He wrote me a letter one time. I wrote him back. He said, I opened my life up to God again. And the good thing is I'm here in prison where I can't get any drugs back then. I said, good. I said, why don't you ask the chaplain if you can be his assistant? He did. He became the chaplain's assistant. I said, now, anybody that gets out of prison, you send them to our church. Tell them we'll help them find work because it's hard for ex-funds to find work. I had a guy in my, in my uh, church. His name was Paul. Paul ran a donut place. Remember Welsh oil stations where they were around? Paul went to the Welsh oil and got to know the Welsh oil man. He said, you need something, and you know what would really help your business? You need to get people in your store because they were one of the first ones I ever saw. Guys, you could buy in there, coffee and all that stuff. He says, you need to have donuts and stuff. And he says, I, I own a donut place. He said, I'll guarantee you I can have them there by 5 o'clock in the morning. And he, and he had this stand that wasn't very big, wasn't much bigger than this table, you know, and had about four shelves in it and had bright light in it that kept everything warm. He says, I can have stuff in there. And he told him how much he'd charge him and all that or how much they'd pay him. And he'd get, a, he'd get some of the profit, they'd get some of the profit. So he's looking for truck drivers. He's looking for people to come to work at 2 o'clock in the morning to start making donuts and doing stuff. And he told me one time, do anybody get out of prison, you know, and they're looking for work? Man, send them my way because, you know, all they do, do it's, I, I, I have my eye on them. That'd be good. Well, first person out, his name is Dan. Dan gets out. He comes to see me. He said, Brad told me I should come see you. I said, yeah, you should. I said, here's what I want you to do. You and your wife, and your, at that time you had two kids. They were too old for children's church. They were teenagers. I said, you, you come sit on the front row. You do that two weeks in a row, and I'll have a job for you. Well, within two weeks, he'd find the Lord. And so, Paul put him to work. Next thing I know, Dan has a, has a purpose. He says, you know, I, I need to go back there and help that chaplain. He says, there's people that need help. I said, well, let's do that. I said, I'm busy. I don't have time, but you can do that. That'll be your ministry. God has a purpose for you. By the time I retired 20 years later, we had 105 ex-felons sitting in the first two rows of my church in the two services combined. We had about 25 to 30 in the first two rows and, and, and a piece. And um, the other time, in the first service, I had a bunch of teenagers. Now, the reason was I'd use a teenager once in a while as an example, and then I'd give them 20 bucks. I'd say, man, you know, you know let's say there's a teenager. You know, wasn't he great? Wasn't he great? Let's give him a hand, and then I'd give him 20 bucks. Next thing you know, every teenager wanted to be on the front row because every month I'm giving out a $20 bill. Change the whole attitude of the church. When you get the teens in front, they pay attention. And next thing you know, their lives were different. And they were changed. Now, then when the ex-felons were sitting together, but I have promised ex-felons, nobody will know you're a felon. Because I'm not telling anybody you're an ex-con. But you just sit in front. And if we have a child that starts causing problems, you take them and tell you, you know what? You could be in bad shape. You know what happened to me? And you just share your story with them. 
Boy, let me tell you something. Those kids were well-behaved. And they loved those felons, those ex-cons. But it's all because Brad had a purpose in life, and God needed him in the prison. Dan came out of prison, had a purpose for his life, needed to use him. God had a reason for Paul leaving Dunkin' Donuts, opening his own, doing his own thing, because Paul had a purpose. See, we all have purpose. But see, what happens is we fail. We fall. And I, I mean, no one of us, I mean, I make bad decisions some days. I mean, I have to be honest. I'm, sometimes I don't always obey God. I think, well, God, let me think a minute. Well, oh, my minute's gone. That person just walked by. I, oh, my goodness. I lost it. Crack pots. You can blew them together. They may still leak, but at least they'd work some. But in Japan, let me show you how they fixed the cracked bowls and pots. Let me show you one. Here you go, Katsunji, I think it's called. Now, they use gold to repair these with. They're worth more cracked than they were whole. They also hold water, and they don't leak. And you can put, look at the next one. Man, I could fill that bowl there full of peanuts or something. I could think of something to put in there. It'd be great. Even cracked hearts can be mended. Now, folks, I don't care what you've done in life, and you think, well, God can't use me. Oh, yes, he can. He knows what he's doing. He knows why you're going through what you're going through. Let's go back to that one with the cracked jar, that cracked uh, whatever, your clay jar. That thing is still usable. It looks more beautiful than it used to. See, God can make something beautiful out of your life, even if you've cracked a few times. We've all cracked, folks. We've all sinned, the Bible says. And one of the advantages of living older, I began to look back on my life and see places where I couldn't understand why I was going through what I was going through, and God knew exactly what he was doing. He was purifying me for the gold to fix the cracks. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad God knows what he's doing. I just need to trust him. And if I just ask God to help me the next five minutes, even if it's to smile, God's grinning upstairs in heaven because he knows Dwayne's finally getting the idea. I can help him if he'll just ask me. The last scripture at the very bottom. The Pharisees got together, and one of them was an expert in the law. And he asked them this question. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's right. That's what we need to do. And our neighbor's a person that we can help. Doesn't that mean he's living next door to you? The good Samaritan, when he gave an example, he was a foreigner, but he was, as the guy was there, he was his neighbor. He was helped him. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. My neighbor may be George in an out of parts warehouse. Maybe Brad that fixes my car. I don't know, but God has me there for a reason. And he has you where you are for a reason too. He has a purpose for your life. Let God use you right where you are. Let's talk to God. Dear God, thank you so much. I'm reminded of the chorus. 
that I heard sung back in the 70s. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, you understood. All I had to offer you was brokenness and strife, but you made something beautiful out of my life. So God, help us to obey you today, one day at a time, so you can make something beautiful out of our lives. And we may be cracked pots, but we've been purified by the fire like gold, the Bible says. So help us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Let's, let's pray the prayer that the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation. Amen. Okay. Doug and Mary are going to come and sing for us. And as they do, we'll take communion. And you can either do as you do, where you dip the bread into the juice, or you can use one of those that's at your table. And uh, what that does is let us know that God is that close to you. As I eat that bread and drink that juice, God's spirit lives within me. He's healing the cracks as I speak. So let's uh, take a moment and uh, let uh, them start singing and then we'll have communion.
Maybe I'm on, maybe, okay. Well, anyway, next week the uh, technician will be here. <laughs> Pastor Rich will be here. But uh, until then, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. The last verse on the Sermon on the Mount in the Living Bible says, live one day at a time because each day has enough trouble of its own. So remember, as you're going through this week and you have a crack here or there, just remember God's going to make it look beautiful in your life. So live for him this week. God bless you. You're dismissed.